Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So glad you guys are tuning back into Everyone Talks to Liz. I want to start with a little bit of news. The Trump administration announced it would be halting new DACA deferred action on childhood arrivals applications and limiting protections for current dreamers to one year as it considers canceling the Obama era program. But it comes after the administration was recently forced to retract its announced rule that all international students have to attend in-person classes during the coronavirus pandemic in order to remain in the United States. Immigration is still an issue that America continues to grapple with, but there is no denying that when you look at it from an inspirational and aspirational aspect of it, hundreds of Fortune 500 companies were literally put on the map by immigrants. They were founded here by immigrants. They were grown here by immigrants, and they've created millions of jobs. Many people come to the U.S. in hopes for a better future and access to greater opportunity, but it's a two-way street. The U.S. has actually really benefited from immigration. This week's podcast guest came to the United States from Syria back in 2013, and now he is creating his own map so that he can help other Syrian refugees and Syrian students come here and create a new and better world. Why should this matter to people? Well, you got to hear from Syrian Youth Empowerment Initiative co-founder George Bata. Thanks so much for coming on to Everyone Talks to Liz. George, good to have you. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. The reason that you you scale our very high bar for Everyone Talks to Liz is because your story is one of complete inspiration and, as I said, aspiration. You're somebody who came here as a foreign transfer student, as we said, in 2013. But let me just get to the news. What do you make of it? Honestly, uh, it it was devastating for me uh, when we first heard about this rule uh, for many, many reasons. But uh, most importantly, because as uh, someone who came to this country. I love this country. I um, I respect this country and its values. And to see it shutting down in the face of people who um, who want to contribute to it and to the world that we live in is uh, is devastating on a personal on a very personal level. Uh, but also, what was very um, concerning about this specific ICE announcement that. Uh, wanted to push back against the students who are in the United States is that um, it really missed a lot of the realities that these students are living in. So aside from the health considerations and the fact that if you want to send back millions of students, that will create a health uh, issues with uh, during a pandemic that we live in. But also in some countries like Syria, it it would have been a matter of life or death because, uh, and this is where I'm, it, it was very um, um, 
there was a lot of oversight in, in this policy, in thinking through this policy, because, for example, for students from Syria, if they leave the U.S. and go back to their countries, not only if they ever have to come back, they'll have to reapply for a visa during a travel ban that is very, very difficult to penetrate, uh, but also they will lose their student status, meaning that back home they will be taken to the military or they will be uh, d deployed in, in, in the world that is happening. Mm -hmm. and and, and and that would have been a matter of, of life or death. So that makes it even more serious. It was not just a matter of convenience for some of the students to, to stay here or that mm -hmm. why they wanted to stay here during these uh, crazy times. Well, for people who don't even have a, a dog in the fight when it comes to immigration, it seemed particularly spiteful and a little misguided to say to international students who are here, they have their visas, they have a purpose, oh, well, unless you can be inside the classroom versus in your dorm room taking your classes online, because that's exactly what Harvard is doing for most of its students, requiring to, them to be online, then you've got to get out of Dodge. You've got to get out of this country. Uh, the good news is the administration has retracted that. It was never going to work anyway. It's a little nutty. But let's look forward here by looking back. Tell us about growing up in Syria and why you were so focused on getting here to America. Yeah, um, I had a great childhood in Syria, and uh, uh, but I always loved the U.S. I uh, I remember I used to go to the American Embassy events and read some of the books of the philosophers that um, that. Um, laid the groundwork for the American system and I've always had the affinity to the country and its values and uh, its society. Um, so it has always been sort of a dream. The American dream, like anyone else, is to come here and prove yourself and work hard and contribute uh, and, and hopefully transfer some of these values to my own country. Um, and um, and it it never happened. I tried uh, when I was eighteen. I applied for a scholarship. I sat on the SAT and the TOEFL, and I just couldn't get any admission. Uh, fast forward to the uh, uh, to twenty thirteen. It was two years in the Syrian uh, uh, war, and um, and I was one of the lucky students who got a transfer scholarship to Illinois Institute of Technology um, as part of the work of an organization called Jasur Organization. And I got here and um, I was able to continue my education here and graduate from uh, the school. But in instead of just saying, OK, I'm here, I'm not worrying about anybody I left back home. You turned around and you remembered the process of applying and taking the SAT. And, you know, when English is your second language, I can only imagine the challenges you had to go through. And you looked at that and you said, hold on, I want to help other people who are left behind do this. Tell me what was the hardest part about just getting here and how you were making that change for other people so that it is a smoother road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, there were a lot of challenges um, in order to make it happen in the first place. So the visa has always been extremely difficult to get a visa if you're from Syria, regardless of the administration. Mm -hmm. um, my English was pretty much broken at, by the time that I came to this country. Uh, it was my third language, not even my second. Um, and... Um, 
I remember when I when I applied on my own, when I saved some money to take the SAT and TOEFL. First, it was a lot of money for me, for a kid in Syria, uh, let alone that my parents like didn't know how to support this or didn't know how to make what to make out of it. So I was on my own and I wrote my essay not understanding the context, not understanding what the American universities are looking for. And I, I felt miserably when I was 17 and I tried to apply alone. But when I got here, I think this is a problem and a challenge that all immigrants face, but especially immigrants from conflict countries where there's this huge sense of guilt because I know that I'm not smarter than many, many people in Syria or many other students here in Syria. I know that I'm not more intellectual. I know that I'm not more brilliant. Yet I was lucky that I knew about the opportunity, applied to it and got it and made my way here. So that has always been in my mind. And the fact that Syria, uh, it was getting worse day by day. I just felt that I had to do something and I could have just sit and wait for things to get better. And also I felt that a lot of universities here really wanted to help, but then we have to, there's this huge gap where uh, language barriers, um, uh, knowledge barriers. So we felt that if we flip the narrative, instead of fundraising millions of dollars to bring few students, why don't we prep the students to get full scholarships that already exist and just polish them and polish their applications and let them, communicate with the universities and that was the premise of the idea and we started honestly we were sitting in a living room four of us uh, and we started brainstorming and coming up with the model that we want to build and we our goal was just to get one student in school uh, yet in the first year that we launched the program uh, uh, we built the curriculum and recruited the mentors and after one year worth of work uh, uh, nine of the 19 students that we work with ended up getting uh, around five million dollars in scholarship from Harvard and MIT and Stanford and Columbia and <laughs> wow. it was it was wild and now the students will be graduating next year so we're pretty excited also to see where uh, what they will be uh, doing then and and once we knew that we knew that we had a, a solid model that could we can expand and that's what we have been doing since we launched so now we're not only helping only undergraduate students who are interested in undergraduate so we launched to a graduate program helping a lot of syrian students who got their undergrad degree in syria or somewhere else to uh, get uh, their masters but also we launched to iraq iraqi students because our goal is to be to support as many students from conflict countries as possible and we launched a pilot program with the iraqi uh, we recruited iraqi mentors and we recruited iraqi students and now we're uh, we're working with them and hopefully uh, by this time next year we'll have uh, some success stories from that pilot program well give me a success story give me the name and the experience of a student whom you found in Syria and is now, as you say, about to graduate. What was their story? Oh my God, there's so many. It's really hard to pick. Uh, but uh, one of the students is was my first mentee from the first year. And uh, I remember the story vividly because he, uh, he missed the deadline that we set first. And then he managed to get my phone number and he called me. I remember I was, still, I was doing laundry at the, in Chicago and he called me and he was like, you have to let me in the program. It is, it is my dream. I've been working so hard. Uh, I've, and, and he 
started sending me things that he'd done, works that he's done, PDFs that he created, research that he has done. And he was in Aleppo in 2017, 2016, the worst time oh. to be in Aleppo. Uh, no electricity, no water, bombing every single day. And he was brilliant. I was, I can't just not give him that opportunity. So we extended him the offer to be part of the program the first year. And I worked personally with him uh, throughout the year. And he ended up uh, getting uh, uh, eight scholarships. Uh, <laughs> and basically, admission officers were fighting over him. And, um, and he ended up going to Harvard. Uh, he was torn between Harvard and Stanford. Um, by the way, fun fact, his top choice was John Hopkins, but it was the only university that turned him down. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, wow. yeah, which uh, it is what it is. But uh, we, uh, yeah, he, uh, it has always like, if he got John Hopkins, he would have gone there without even thinking. But the, the, he was so brilliant that his essays that he used to write, I used to review, he was, he was drawing parallel from Nietzsche's work uh, about his life in Aleppo and how, and I honestly thought that I cannot write in this eloquency for someone whose English is not first language, who really didn't learn it in school. I cannot come up with the words and in the way that he did. But he basically equated the Ubermensch with every man who lives in Aleppo, of the Superman, who, who, any man who lives in Aleppo and survive, any man and woman, because it was really not normal life in Syria for so long, and it's still not, but during that time specifically. So that was the premise of his, his essay. And the beautiful thing about his story is that from day one, he really wanted to help. Uh, he really wanted to pay it forward. He has connected us with people from Harvard to talk more about the admission process. Mm -hmm. He is, he, um, he, he, he helped us fundraise. He helped us with every, anything that we ever needed from him as a student, but also he excelled at school. School. He's doing triple, ma double major in uh, in medicine, biology, and in philosophy, and and in computer science, and a minor in philosophy. So he's an underachiever. Just kidding. Obviously not. <laughs> this uh, yeah, guy. if he's underachiever, I don't know what I would define myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is everyone talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What about you? You came to this country as a student. What was your major? Do you have a day job? I mean, this is using up so much of your time. Clearly, you're so incredibly passionate about it. 
Yes. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, uh, after graduation, I studied business uh, and focused, specialized in finance uh, in my undergraduate studies. And I worked for a year and a half in, uh, in a private equity fund of funds in Chicago. But then I uh, worked in consulting at Deloitte Consulting for um, around four years. I just left a couple of weeks ago because I'm starting a master's program uh, called the Schwarzman program, which is starting in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, I care so deeply about Syrian youth empowerment and the work that we're doing that, yes, I have two jobs. They both are two full-time. They both uh, eat up my sleeping time and my, uh, my, uh, uh, all my disposable, disposable time, but I care so deeply about it that I, I, I'm so glad that I have the opportunity uh, to do it this way and uh, to, to be able to be part of like both um, institutions or <laughs> SYE and Deloitte Consulting. And I felt I, I brought a lot of the learnings that I learned at, at Deloitte, at the clients that I worked with uh, to SYE to make it leaner, to make it more efficient, to make it, um, to make it more uh, effective uh, uh, and to build a culture that uh, I and everyone who's part of the organization can be proud of. George, tell me what you want listeners to know and to understand about the, the refugees whom you are bringing here to get an education. This is your yes. chance to really explain to people what's at the heart of the matter. Yeah. Uh, as humans, uh, I believe every person deserves a chance to get good education. Every person deserves a chance to live to their full potentials. And this is part of why I love America. And this is part why I'm, I have so much affinity to the American values. Um, but it, in refugee cases, you just have to imagine that you have um, people who lost everything. I lost my phone last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, which happens, unfortunately, happens quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was I, like, for an hour, I was devastated because I, you know, it has my WhatsApp, it has all my messages, it has all my pictures. And then it just hit me like, how must it feel for someone who lost everything, their childhood memories, their home, their parents, their siblings. And while not our, all our students are refugees, but Every single Syrian person lost so much during this war. And so they are coming from a place of, like, very vulnerable place to start with. Um, and, and the other side of the story is that those people who are working so hard to get that admission and to get that scholarship, they really love America. They really, um, they really appreciate the, the opportunities that they're getting. They're really grateful for the generosity of, of America and the American society and the American institutions that are taking them in and, and giving them the opportunities that they're being given. So uh, we, in the news, we see usually um, the bad stories that happens every now and then, and those get all the highlights. But if I have to uh, one like leave you with one fact, is that the vast majority of refugees are good, law-abiding citizens who just want to be, uh, just want to help, and they just want to contribute and build a better life for them and their families, and 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 they're just trying to um, to live the American dream without taking anything from anyone, but the opposite, contributing to their new homes and their new societies. George, I confidently say this country is lucky to have you. 
and uh, I'm honored to know you. And I hope our listeners take from this exactly what you've said, which is the benefit of this, but also your success, what you were up against, and your generosity, instead of just looking ahead and saying, now, how do I get the American dream and make a ton of money? You're actually reaching back to the very people whom you left to say, come along. Thank you so much, George. We wish you and the Syrian Youth Empowerment Initiative the best of luck. George Bata. Thank you very much, Liz. I appreciate it. And, uh, um, and I... I appreciate the fact that we have uh, podcasts and platforms like yours that are highlighting stories like this, that are making it easier for people to understand the realities that we live in and the the, uh, the real reasons behind what is going on and and kind of giving uh, giving them all they need to be compassionate to things that they don't know. And this is important, and I appreciate you and your podcast for this. And thank you for having me. And thank you for making me feel like I've done nothing with my life. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> I would George push Bata. back against that, but... <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank so you. much. Thank you very much. Liz. Good to have you. And so glad you're all tuning in. And remember, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, it's the Claim and Countdown. And we really hope that you're watching as well as listening because we are kicking some serious tail on that show on the Fox Business Network. It's the Claim and Countdown. Great to have you all. And hope you join me for the next Everyone Talks to Liz. Bye. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.